0: After a two-year-long hiatus, Dormroom Room Fund is excited to announce the return of our podcast, Office Hours with Dormroom Room Fund, where each week, we'll talk to some of the brightest minds in business, venture, and tech. From CPGs to NFTs, we got you covered. For new episodes, make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for more information on Dormroom Room Fund, connect with us on social or go to dormroomfund.com. With that, enjoy this week's episode with On Deck partner, Sean Zhu. What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Dorm Room Fun Podcast. A little technical hindrances at first, but we're here. I'm here with the Dorm Room Fun OG, On Deck Partner, and the Forbes 30 under 30. I was about to say former Forbes 30 under 30, but <laughs> once you get it, you have it forever. Sean, I guess so. How okay. are you
1: doing today? I'm good man good I'm glad to be here and I'm uh, it's uh, being part of the Dormum Fun family is always it is what it is it's a family right and it's always awesome to be talking to other people in the network and in the in the ecosystem so you know I'm I'm, I'm super excited to be here
0: yeah, absolutely. I that's what I've noticed. There's like a very strong community. Obviously, you know, in the crypto area, in Crypto Era 2022, everything's a community, you know. It's like yeah. if you got a a board fish or whatever it is, like, you know, that's a community, but I feel like Don is yeah. actually going strong and you're definitely one of the uh, initial people in that in that group. So, thank you for the work you've done and uh, I'm happy to see everything you do. Um, yes. let's just get started. Uh, yeah. for anyone who's not familiar, you know, besides a couple of bullet points that I gave, what's, uh, your background, uh, maybe sum up your entire yeah. life. Um,
1: yeah. I'm a Silicon Valley native, uh, grew up here in the South Bay. Um, just a few, you know, uh, a few neighborhoods away from where you know jobs and Wozniak built the first Apple computer, uh, went to high school where they went, which was really fun. Um, Uh, You know, Waz showed up at football home games every now and then. But, you know, I was immersed in venture and startups ever since I I was a kid, learned how to code in eighth grade, that type of thing. Um, uh, And uh, I guess uh, I've done quite a few things. Uh, I was on the founding team of a YC-backed company called Bayes Impact, one of the first nonprofits that YC funded, nonprofit version of Palantir. Um, Raised a million bucks in philanthropic seed capital to go build some really cool um, public services products. Uh, It's still going strong. And uh, uh, ended up becoming an operator where I led international expansion for a couple startups. Um, uh, uh, ad tech company called Vungle, what helped out uh, scale us out in Asia and helped uh, Square uh, build the business in Europe. Uh, particularly uh, worked on our launch in the UK, um, and uh, you know uh, now have spent the last uh, five years in venture. Um, obviously did Dormer Fund, but also was an investor at Floodgate, uh, working with Ma- Mike Maples and Amir Co. And uh, now I'm a partner at ondex odx fund it's a new fund and accelerator 150 million bucks and uh you know excited to to work with founders all at that first check ideation stage which is i guess i've been doing that since dorm room fund
0: Awesome. Yeah. It's seed fund uh, or seed run. Um, interesting. Yeah. So you basically you yeah, have no qualifications to be here whatsoever. We just, you know, <laughs> random, random the streets. Um, I'm curious <clears throat> in VC in 2022, obviously we've seen the memes, we've seen kind of like the extensive amount of capital that's being poured into the space. Uh, I'm curious, what would you describe as your three differentiating factors? This is sounding like a job interview. I promise it's not. And what do you think is the easiest or the best way for VCs to differentiate themselves? Uh, in the yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that venture is being commoditized and I think it was because it's it, it, that, that was clear even, you know, in 2014 and 2015, the trends, the trend line was happening uh, even then, uh, um, uh, you know, th- that was, you know, I've had conversations with dorm fund alumni about that at various institutional venture funds. Um, I think on deck is actually my answer for how to stay differentiated. You know, I was as I was thinking about where to make my next move, and I was very happy at Floodgate too. We were doing some really interesting stuff, but you know what I really appreciated about Dormroom Fund is that we have our roots at First Round, right? And First Round is really focused on building platform. and Finn Barnes was the OG um, general partner there, who mentored a lot of uh, us at at, at Dormroom Fund. And you know, he always said that uh, uh, venture is a uh, if you are a product, right? Like you have to treat yourself as a product to founders. What are the products or features of your product that founders are going to want to buy, right? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, ability to help them think through their particular space or um, their particular challenge, whether it's go to market or hiring or whatever. Um, but, but you've got to really think about yourself as a product and, and build your, uh, whether it's community or content or uh, networks, proprietary uh, networks to, to help you achieve um, uh, uh, a product that founders are gonna want to really uh, buy into and be willing to give up a substantial piece of equity in their company to do that, right? And so OnDeck does that in spades, right? Uh, I mean, we have an entire team focused on helping you find a co-founder. We have an entire team focused on helping you find your first couple of customers. Uh, our, we have a network of 10,000 founders and investors and startup operators who are curated and really epic A-plus people. And uh, we place those people into the companies we fund as advisors, um, as hires, uh, what have you. And we have a whole dedicated team trying to help each of these companies get um, think through fundraising strategy as well. And so it's like a swarm of interesting people in a productized way to try to get each of these companies um, uh, go through going through zero to one. I think that is really compelling to a lot of founders, especially ones who might not be super networked into Silicon Valley.
0: Yeah, interesting. I've heard you also talk about, I guess, like the VC space, almost in like a philosophical way, of, like, you know, why you love it so much. I'm curious, have the reasons changed over the years for why you're so interested? And uh, and when did you realize it was something that you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I just, I think I'm a bit of a systems thinker. And I think venture has the, the potential to drive real change and impact. Um, I think less about like, I'm not motivated by money. Or, or status or social capital or any of those things, I think those are nice, right? But the the thing that I cared about, I mean, you know, this is why I joined a nonprofit um, uh, with Bayes uh, and was paid 10 grand over six months in the early days, right, <laughs> like I did it because I believed in trying to solve problems and I, in my point of view, the things that are the easiest way, the best way to solve problems is by being around the people who make the rules, which I think is just called politics, which is why I got really involved in political activism, um, and uh, being around the people who are moving society's resources around to fund the next most interesting bet to solve that problem. Uh, and it just so happens a lot of those uh, solutions are technology products. Uh, and I think so uh, what I describe uh, as moving society's resources around to take bets on products, I think people just call that venture capital. Mm-hmm. And so if you can spend a life solving the problems you most deeply care about, um, thinking through policy, from the government lens and uh, thinking through products from the technology lens and funding them and making sure that they have a shot at really getting to scale, um, to me, that's a very meaningful life and and so I've I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life uh, uh, ever since I've started venture because this is exactly what this is where I want to be and this is what I want to do.
0: That's awesome. <clears throat> I feel like that's kind of like the dream, right? Well, regardless of what you're making, if you can kind of live below your means, but still do something that's impactful and enjoyable, that's kind of a life well lived. I'm curious, you know, our uh, yeah. Run yeah. CEO, Molly Fowler, she also, you know, shout out Molly if you're listening, great individual, but she also yeah. has um, political roots, uh, I believe worked on, I think it was Eric Garcetti's campaign. Um, I'm right. curious, what have you seen as like the parallels between, uh, policy making and politics and all that. Cause I know you also worked on, I believe it was Gavin Newsom's campaign. Um, what was the kind of the similarities you saw with that? And then the VC space?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, uh, policy, policy work and thesis work in venture, um, ultimately are uh, very similar roots, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I was a tech policy advisor for, for, for Gavin Newsom's um, gubernatorial campaign when he ran for governor of California. I was a co-chair of his committee, uh, um, on the future of work, and you know, I worked with some really amazing, super sharp, super smart people um, uh, to think through like, what does the future look like, right? What, um, uh, what does California's workforce need in twenty years, and ten years, and what are the investments we need to make um, currently uh, to to prepare us for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're in venture or whether you're in government, it's still like a question of like, how do you allocate capital and how do you make investments to uh, uh, to, 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 to basically solve a particular problem, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I was diving a lot into workforce retraining or, you know, the future of what autonomy will do on medium-skilled jobs or, 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 um, low-skilled jobs, right? And, uh, that thesis work is the same work you would do in venture, uh, um, it's just applied with a different lens of, like, rather than what laws should we enact or create or, uh, change... It, it's kind of like what uh, products are possible because of certain inflections in the market. Um, and so th- those, those two things actually uh, go hand in hand. They, they, they each inform the other end, in fact.
0: The inflections and in the policy changes?
1: Yeah, yeah, like I, I think that, um, uh, you know, if I'm studying the future of work and I'm studying the future of autonomy and, and its effect on the workforce, uh, there are opportunities you can invest on based off that, right, B- uh, as relates to companies that could be built to solve those problems. Uh, but it also relates to, you know, there are, there are gaps in capitalism, which is from my view, I think what government should be trying to help solve and, um, you know, policies that you can put in place to solve those gaps in capitalism. Interesting. Climate yeah. Okay. Is a best example of that.
0: <laughs> well, what, what was the example you suggest? You, uh, I think sorry. climate change is one of those things Power where you need energy.
1: a public private partnership. I think we need carbon markets that are compliance markets. they not, they can't just be voluntary markets. And, um, you also need the companies to produce the products to remove carbon out of the atmosphere. Right. I think, uh, um, both those things go hand in hand, in my mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard on a, a, a podcast, obviously not a podcast as good as Norman Funds, but a different podcast <laughs> where you had mentioned this idea of uh, policy experimentation, and I thought that was really interesting because we're kind of seeing that play out in uh, in real life. I feel like yeah. over the past couple of years with universal basic income in terms of uh as a response to covid right what you could argue is an inflection right like covid happened that was an inflection yeah. that led to things like you know we're using a software right now for podcasting that might not have been necessary you know 10 years ago and you're seeing zoom take off and a bunch of other companies um, i'm curious so in in terms of both policy and uh, business but also in politics what are the limits of that right like what what are, at what point do you kind of reach an area where it's like, oh shoot, we're experimenting a little too much? Like, how quick on your toes do you have to be with a policy experimentation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in the states, uh, to be frank with you, um, I, I think we move a little slower on the on the government side uh, and policy experimentation. Um, uh, you know, there's just a lot more um, a lot more upfront work that needs to be done before we can commit to kind of the policy experiments that we need. Um, uh, I think it's different in other countries. Uh, certain countries are a little just faster and uh, yeah, um, yeah. more willing to to, to to commit to those experiments. I'm thinking about like Scandinavian countries or um, uh, you know like Singapore, for instance, right? Uh, although there's certain certainly trade offs um, uh, uh, in, right. in those models. But like I think that uh, you know uh, one of the great things I love about tech and venture is that um, experimentation is super rapid, right? Mm um uh, you fund a company it could it's either gonna like you know totally fail within 12 to 18 months and it's very clear why it's failed and then you have data for that um or a product will work Be- and it you know it scales and it becomes like what we used to call a floodgate a thunder lizard uh, a company that's like this massive category king or queen so um i think that um uh, to answer your question. You know, uh, uh, there, there are certainly limits uh, uh, to the speed that we can go at for policy experiments. But I do think that with government, one of the trade uh in, in being more, uh, slower and more methodical, because you do have to get more consensus from a larger uh, a range of uh, stakeholders, right? Government is still like the largest um, uh, lever of impact that we have, right? right. Um, I mean, enact a law that in, uh, impacts 300 million people at a time. Uh, or or a billion people at a time if you can get it uh, across multiple countries. Personal,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, the 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 scale is 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 truly you know uh, orders of magnitude different, right? So while the experimentation on the tech and venture side is faster, you start with small experiments that you know exponentially grow. Um, that's that's uh, that's one approach, its bottoms up approach, right? But I mean, the top down government approach of solving problems through policy. Uh, it just is is uh, is just larger outcomes. I think you just have to get them right.
0: Right. Yeah. I guess it's so frustrating how it it feels like you know you wish that things could move faster and they were a little bit more nimble. I feel like the when you mentioned that, what immediately came to mind was like the mRNA vaccine and kind of like how it was in development yeah. for all these years and then suddenly we're in a pandemic and we're kind of able to execute and push through it quickly. And you know, some people obviously disagree on that, but um, I think there are so many examples of just like. Progress that's being hindered because of politics, you know, quite literally yeah. politics. So, um, that's yeah. definitely a, you know, a, a really good point. Uh, I'm going to, you know, bounce around a little bit with you. Yeah. I'm curious with, um, you know, the, I'm going to do a little personal question actually. So uh, earlier, you know, I, uh, I kind of well actually okay I, I think I'll go more in depth in terms of what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about being a VC the space in general and this is the personal side for me do you need to be math or analytical to survive in this space uh, because when you said coding that you were coding in eighth grade I was like <laughs> all right man let's you know I, I it couldn't be me because you know I've tried but I just I can't bring myself to do it so yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not technical.
1: I mean, when I say I coded in eighth grade, it was just like very basic stuff, right? Like, I certainly can't, um, uh, I'm not a back end engineer by any means or a full stack no. engineer at all, right? Um, uh, I, there are a lot, there are people a lot, uh, a lot smarter than me that, uh, that they can take that work on. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, like the misconception that people have is that I think, um, it's, it's, it's this idea that you know there is there are some investors that just know everything uh, mm-hmm. and that they know how to build the company uh that you're working on better than you do that's just not true right I, I think that um a couple anecdotes here right it's like an, an, an investor uh they might have been some badass in a uh, founder several years ago let's say right um but you know skills atrophy and um uh 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 you know special special specialized skills in particular atrophy. If you were a badass founder in the dot com era, uh, you know, you're you've kept abreast of like all the most interesting trends for sure, right? But you yeah. know, um you you th- there are other founders out there who know a hell of a lot more about performance marketing, for instance, on mobile than you do. That's just like a small example. But you know uh, there will be like there there's no single uh, venture capitalist who just knows everything and can give you advice on every angle you have to sw- to to loop in uh different specialized niche experts and all the different things that you care about which i think is in many ways the thesis sit on deck it's you're going to find the very best person for a point solution and then swarm those people to help you build the business right so you know this idea that like uh you know a vc knows everything about every space and knows everything about how to build a business um Uh, really, a VC is a partner to you in building the company. They are not here to be prescriptive and tell you how to build the company. And a VC who does do that is not necessarily a good VC in my point of view. Um, And and I think that the other elements here are, um, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) I think that uh, a lot, there is a a tremendous element of luck in venture. Uh, I think the successful venture capitalists, you have, you know, a lot of them, there are many outlier investors who are brilliant and, you know, I'm lucky to call a lot of them colleagues and, and friends but, and mentors. But um, I think, uh, you know, uh, a lot of VCs uh, were able to invest in one or two amazing, great companies. And you're, and, and oftentimes in this business, you're, you're judged on your winners and not necessarily your, your, your losers, right? Yeah. Um, and so as a result, you know, uh, uh, the, it, the, the people who have a win are able to raise more money and uh, attract more deal flow because of that win. And then, like, the, 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 the most successful VCs continue to be more and more successful, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the most uh, 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 helpful to, to, to helping you scale a company or build the business or think about zero to one. Different people have very different point strengths, right? Like, uh, diff- different superpowers – I think that it's a much better idea to uh, uh, collect a array of investors who can help you build the business rather than a single person and depend that one individual person to like, just know everything.
0: Right. You know, um, yeah, definitely <laughs> we you know, we've seen I feel like examples in the Valley and the praying for exit memes of, you know, that that V C that's just got their one winner there. You know, and we're we're not throwing shots at anyone, but there's, are you know, their their own version of Uber or Uber or whatever it may be, and it's like, yeah, that I think that's a really good point. Like it just really multipli multiplies um based off of that one, you know, win, which I think is a cool thing about the business. You know, you can miss ninety nine times and if your hundredth time is, you know a company that obviously if you're just blindly aiming at you know investing in company it's probably not the best idea, but if you're doing your best work and Diligence and all that other stuff. Then uh, I think it's cool, and you're obviously going to have better pattern recognition over time. Um, I'm curious. You mentioned you know these entrepreneurs that then become VCs. Uh, I want to say like ask about vice versa. Do you think that people who are aspiring entrepreneurs but don't really know what to start, where to start, what idea they have, is venture a good place to start? Obviously, you know we've heard about business school, which I, I know you went to business school. Um, you wrote a great Medium article about uh, why you chose to do that. A lot of people you know might go in a one year vacation to try and clear the head and think of something um what do you think uh what do you think VC uh, i guess getting a job in the industry before starting a business fits in all that
1: yeah i mean that's a good question um i i mean w- probably the best consumer product founder that i know his name is alex ma mm-hmm. um started a company called paparazzi mm-hmm. that's been become quite popular amongst high school students number one app store <laughs> number one he of the app store had,
0: uh, ttyl as well right before
1: So TTYL became paparazzi. I mean, he he ran into a number of consumer products before he landed on paparazzi. But, you know, know, uh, he was a VC before. He was at scale. And I think what it allows you to do is uh, um, it certainly helps you think through how to fundraise. And you build a relationship with with a set of relationships with investors that allow you to um, easily tap into capital for you to help build the business. Um, But it also allows you to, to, like, time. Different VCs take it in different ways, right? Some people uh, go super deep on a space,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's, I think, helpful if you wanna be a company founder, um, if you wanna be a startup founder, you know, you, you kind of have a very good lay of the land of like what else is everyone is building and what are the challenges they people had when building. Um, some people are not necessarily thesis-driven and much more network-driven, and that's also helpful, too, if you are finding your way to the very best engineers that you may wanna start a company with, perhaps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it really just depends on how you use your time, right? Uh, uh, if you if you take those two approaches, I think it could be really helpful. And for Alex, I think it, um, you know, I don't want to totally speak for him, but like, I think it allowed him to uh, see all these business models and see what best the best in class looks like and um, understand how to raise money in a very effective way uh, yeah. uh, at terms that were pretty good. And um, uh, he's off to the races now. I think it's one of the uh, best consumer products that is being built out there today is backed by benchmark, right? Yeah. Uh, we funded the company at floodgate as well. Um, I think, uh, 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 my point of view for most people who are thinking about it, right? I think it's a great place to start. It's, um, uh, if you don't have a point of view on a specific product you want to build or a space you want to go deep on, um, uh, doing it for one or two years out of school, it's not necessarily the worst idea, <laughs> uh, but I think it's mostly a job that you should have at the end of your career, not necessarily the beginning, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think you need to be able to look a founder in the eye and say, uh, I know what to do to help you build your business. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. something that my mentors always sold me, the men- my mentors at Floodgate, was just my, my partner, Arjun okay. Chopra, would always sit down, sit me down and say, hey, what? Uh, why would a founder choose you over someone else? Mm-hmm. Like, why would a founder choose to work with you and take your check rather than mine or, you know, Josh Koppelman's at first rounds or Peter Fenton, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why would would a founder do that? And um, I think that's a very good question. And I think that if you are a young investor and all you're doing is sourcing uh, deals and doing the networking piece of it, that's really fun. But it doesn't um, – I think that you need to be able to think about it from a point of view of, like, How do I augment my own portfolio of skills as far as it relates to knowledge about a space or network of a particular uh, type of person that I can help me build businesses or help other people build businesses? Um, So I think it's a very nuanced uh, thing.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, we got a few more minutes left. I wanted to do like a quick rapid fire. Um, had a little technical yep. breakup there, but I think we're good right now. Um, you've met a ton of people. You're very well-traveled. Um, I want to ask about a couple of those people and then end off with one question and we're done. Uh, you met Joe Biden and then the very next day met Kamala Harris. Do you care to share that experience with us?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Kamala, I uh had known from her days in San Francisco when she was um, attorney- Uh, a district attorney here um and uh you know i was you know i had gone to dinners with her uh for fundraising stuff um and and kind of just like followed her along for the for uh, throughout her political career um phenomenal speaker um and uh i think she is uh uh you know she's very much a patriot and i think that um i've anecdotes to share maybe not in a podcast but i i think that uh uh, uh, she's very much like a person who is, uh, um, someone I admire. Um, Joe Biden is a very much a politicker. Uh, he, he happened to be a professor at Penn when I was going there. And so caught him oh, a couple times. Um, but I was very lucky to be a fellow at Penn's Perry World House, um, uh, which is a, a global Institute for global policy affairs and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was able to go to DC where Penn, uh, uh president Biden has a There's a Penn Biden center um, uh, that uh, that was unveiled there. And so it was a very surreal experience. I mean, he did the ribbon cutting ceremony. He cut the ribbon. And in the room, there was like behind me, it's like Condoleezza Rice and like John Kerry and like, you know, all of his friends who are essentially senators (laughs) from his time in D.C. And it's very clear that he's built a lifetime of relationships with some of the most important people in American politics. And they're not just there because it's like, you know. Uh, it's not just there because it's for show or there's no press in the room. Right. It was just, they were there because they liked the guy. And I, I think that he is, uh, exceptional relationship builder, which you need to be in politics, I guess. But, uh, it was really amazing to watch it actually unfold in front of me as he meet it, met all these people and built these relationships up. And it's, it's over decades that he did this. Right. Um, The very, very best people in the world are just able to do that. And I think that uh, it was really just cool to see that.
0: It's just crazy you met both of them back to back years ago. It wasn't like you met them like, you know, while they were president, vice president. It was like, okay, vice president Biden. And then the next day, you know, senator from California. Pretty cool. Uh, Second to last question. Also, Quincy Jones. How was that experience?
1: Quincy Jones is awesome. I mean, he is like, like, you know, he, he produced all of Michael Jackson's music. I think he produced some of Sinatra's music. He, he's got more like Grammy nominations or awards than any living human being on the planet. It was cool. He threw a party and my friend, um, uh, or a startup threw a party and he's an angel investor in that startup. And my friend uh, brought me over there in LA. I, I like dropped everything I was doing. I flew to LA, uh, and like you know just went to the party because i wanted to meet him and i met all of his like all these famous artists who are there to honor him that night wow. but i got a chance to meet him and the first thing he said to me was like are you chinese and i was like yes and then he spoke mandarin to me for you yeah. know a couple sentences and i was just like how are you like the most interesting human <laughs> ever uh and and you know he had some interesting stories to share about his time with with chinese um business colleagues and he had spent some time there i guess and so um i i loved it um But I think the the funny thing is that, uh, you know, (laughs) I was just like, why did you invest in this company that you're here for a party for? And he kind of just was just like, I I invest in a lot of companies. I think I have a whole team to help me do that, you know, and and so. It was just funny that, you know, I guess he's, uh, I don't know how, how how actually deeply interested he is in the, in the in the company, but it was cool to meet him at least.
0: Yeah, he's like low-key like a SaaS expert or something. Um, right. maybe, <laughs> maybe. Maybe, he's, yeah. Um, I think my last question is, what is kind of your vision for the world, what, you know, a better world looks like? How does, you know, man, this sounds cheesy, but how does VC, I guess, play into that? Um, I think you have mentioned some really great points in terms of policy and, and how it can make a direct impact with capital. Uh, I, I'm curious, so what's the extent of that and what what do you... What would you look at as a a successful career when it's all said and done for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll borrow a page from Mike Maples, which is um, the world needs more breakthrough founders. And Mm. when I say breakthrough founders, it's like people who are building, um, you know, uh, the entire global economy is predicated on innovation and growth. And uh, growth happens when you build interesting novel things that change a society. And um, founders who build those breakthrough products, whether it's Elon Musk with SpaceX or Tesla that pushes the boundaries of what we're capable of Mm -hmm. as a species or um, like reorienting our society to fight certain things like climate change. Like, I I think that that's uh, that's worthwhile. And if I you know, if I'm able to enable a couple of these breakthrough founders in my life, uh, produce products that change and touch every aspect of our lives in a in a positive way. Um, I think that's a very good life lived. Um, and so I you know my, my mission is to create more breakthrough founders, particularly not in the United States, just abroad. like I think that there is so much opportunity to to, to change the lives of people who don't have a bank account or don't have um, have it, like 40 percent of the world has never gone on the internet before. and I think that there is there's opportunity to change the lives of people um, through through entrepreneurship and through big ideas and um, that's what I'm that's what I'm here for.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Uh, yeah, welcome. with Dorm Fun Podcast is back. Welcome everyone, and uh, yeah, I look forward to um, you know talking to you soon. Have a great uh, rest of your day, and thank you. Everyone. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.